Well, good morning, Word of Grace. Good to see you all here, as well as you, all of you who are joining online and also out in our commons area. Before we get into the message today, there are maybe a few of you out there who aren't on our church's email list, and so you may not know about the email announcement that was sent out. Actually, funny, not funny story, um, we had an email that was prepared for our leaders that was sent out, and then I started getting text messages after the leader email was sent out from people who were not on that email list, so we decided to go ahead and send out uh, the other uh, message, which was from me, and that message is simply this, um, that God has called myself and my family to transition away from Word of Grace, and my last Sunday with you all will be April 11th as your senior pastor. And I want to let you know that the past nine, nine and a half years have been absolutely incredible. And I believe that God has used that to grow me, to grow my family, and to grow all of you uh, prayerfully as well. And I know that it's been quite the journey. I've gotten you know, closer to some of you than others and gotten to know some of you more than others. But know this, that no matter how well I know you um, or don't know you, that I've been praying for you and it has been an honor and a privilege to be your pastor. So the next few weeks, I'm going to continue to preach the Word of God. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do, and we're going to trust God for the future. But I want to be very clear about a few things before we get into the message today, because over these past nine years, I believe that um, with a lot of you here in this church that I've earned your trust, and I value that highly. I appreciate that. And I believe that part of the way I've earned that trust with this congregation has been through just uh, my transparency and authenticity. And I've always kept it real at Word of Grace, and I've always showed my flaws and have never tried to present myself as being a perfect person who had everything figured out. And I still am not a perfect person who has everything figured out. So in that spirit of authenticity and transparency, I want you to hear my heart and I want you to trust this, that there is nothing wrong happening at Word of Grace, nothing bad, nothing behind the scenes that you wonder what's the real scoop, what's the real story, because I know that as you go through life, you wonder when you see things happening like this, you wonder what on earth is going on. I can, I can honestly assure you and let you know that Word of Grace is healthy financially, we're healthy as a board, we're healthy as a staff, everyone genuinely gets along, loves one another, and um, no one is running me off or chasing me off, I'm not offended, there's no immorality behind the scenes or anything like that, and I wanted you to hear that from me because I know that the enemy could come in and try to you know, make something negative that's actually a positive thing. When I came to this church over nine years ago, um, I moved my family from everything we had ever known in Arkansas. We had moved our whole family up uh, to a state my wife and I had never been to. It wasn't like we looked at the map and said, hmm, Wisconsin, that sounds like the place we want to go. Uh, we had never been, neither one of us had ever even traveled to Wisconsin, and we ended up falling in love with the people and ended up falling in love with the area. We love the region. As a matter of fact, the church that we're transitioning to is still in the Midwest. It's in the Quad Cities in Iowa, so we're still going to have Midwestern weather, so we're not running away from snow or cold or anything like that. And, uh, um, but at the same time, um, we do understand calling, and I want to use this opportunity um, to help you understand calling as well, because it's not always easy, especially as we've gotten close that the Lord does things in seasons, and there's a time and season for everything. And I genuinely believed when I moved here 
that I was never going to go anywhere else. That was my heart. That was my intent. I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't uh, desiring a transition. My first two and a half years at Word of Grace were really, really hard, really difficult years for a number of reasons. We had staff transitions. We weren't that healthy in a lot of ways as a church. We went through some difficult seasons and um, had, had to walk through some difficult things as a 29-year-old who had only pastored a church of 50 people. And uh, moving here and moving my whole family here and seeing how God was faithful through all of that. And honestly, since about 2015, we've had little bumps along the way, but God's just been blessing and moving at Word of Grace. And I would count it a privilege and an honor to be able to move on to that next assignment after feeling that sense of completion and leaving during a good time instead of during a time where there was turmoil or chaos. And so I'm grateful for that and grateful for all of you. I believe that calling works two ways. I believe you're called away from something, and then you're called to something. And where those two intersect, that's where the will of God is. And so about two years ago, um, my wife and I began to sense a stirring. And we've been in ministry for 21 years now. And during that time, we felt that stirring and calling before. And we didn't want it because we love Word of Grace and we love the people here. As a matter of fact, three of the staff members that we have at this church, I've known and been doing ministry with them for 21 years I was Pastor Keith's youth pastor and Cassie, his wife's youth pastor, before they were even dating. Um, I was uh, Pastor Stevens, uh, one of his teachers at uh, the Christian school he attended. I did his Bible class on occasion and knew him uh, in that area. And so uh, I, I, I love ministering with my friends and I love being here. Um, but at the same time, I see that that gives me the opportunity to be very comfortable I say that gives me the opportunity just to kind of hit cruise control and enjoy ministry and enjoy life. And God was calling us two years ago to begin to look at things a little differently. And as he began to stretch us and call us, it made us very uncomfortable and we didn't want to deal with it at first. And then uh, probably about 10, 11 months ago, we finally submitted to that through the counsel of a lot of other pastors and a lot of mentors in my life. Um, people who are close personal friends of mine and mentors, people that some of you know, like Pastor Andy Shanholtz and Pastor Kirby Anderson and many others who have spoken into my life and continue to do so. And God really began to affirm some things through those conversations and through much, much, much prayer. And then we went and talked to the staff, talked to the board of this church, and they affirmed those things as well and understood those things. It was hard at first. It was sad at first. But then they began to think about it and go, yeah, I think God is in this. And let me tell you, this is God's church, not Derek Armstrong's church. Amen? Amen. Well, that was weak. Come on. I said, this is God's church, not Derek Armstrong's church. If I've taught you anything over these past nine years, it's that, hey, I'm just like you. We're all Christians in this journey together. None of us are more important or significant than the other. Amen? And I love you guys, and I hope you like me. I'm going to be sad, and you're going to be sad. Maybe, maybe there's some of you that are like, finally. Um, for those of you, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything to say to you. I love you too. I, but um, but we're, we're moving a little over three hours down the road, about three and a half hours. And so we have friends and family still here. We plan on staying connected. And we're always going to be big cheerleaders and big supporters of Word of Grace. I, I care very much about this church. I raised my children here. My twin girls were four years old when we moved here, and now they're going to be 14 in just a few weeks. So it's, uh, it's, it's been quite the journey, and I count an honor and a privilege. When I was interviewing at the church in Iowa where we're going to be relocating to, they asked me what was the thing that I was most proud of in ministry. They said, take off your humility hat and tell us what's the thing you're most proud of. And I said, Word of Grace. Absolutely, hands down, word of grace, because of what God has done in us and what God has done in this church, and I believe that's only going to continue. 
Um, I don't know everything that the future holds. I have some ideas, but um, <laughs> I'm going to just keep praying, and I would ask that you would pray too. Amen, church? So with that in mind, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the word because the most important thing that can happen today is that we get into the word and we grow in Christ today and uh, not that we just focus on this transition, right? Let's focus on Jesus today. That's the most important. So let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity just to serve you in this way together. Father, All of us are at different places mentally and emotionally, and we just pray, Father, that you would help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and to hear, Lord, your words today. Lord, may you fill me with your words to be shared with this congregation and those watching online, and may, Father, your words be heard by your people. We thank you for illuminating your word to us. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your presence, and we pray, Father, that you cause the life change today by the preaching of your word and by the moving of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in week two of a series called Emptied and Filled, and we kicked this off by having an Ash Wednesday service online, and it was something new to us, something new that we were uh, embarking on, not that we were trying to do everything that traditionally is done uh, during uh, the season of Lent, but the practice is something that we saw a lot of value in of just humbling ourselves before the Lord and going through a period of fasting, because this would have been the time where Jesus himself was fasting in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And as he was emptying himself, he was indeed tempted. And he was tempted in the same ways you and I are tempted. Maybe not in the exact same manner, but in the same type of ways. The same idea that Satan had is the same ideas he tries to trip you and I up with. And last week, Pastor Stephen talked about sin and the law. And this week, I get to talk about righteousness, comfort, and blessings. So thank you, Pastor Stephen, for taking last week. This is like my favorite sermon title of all time, Righteousness, Comfort, and Blessing. But then as I thought about it, well, kind of, maybe, because the idea we have about blessings can often be wrapped up in something being beneficial towards me in a way that I see it's good for me. Sometimes there's blessings that happen that aren't comfortable for me and actually causes me to give up and yield my comfort for the sake of actually getting the blessing, but it's not the way I would want the blessing to come. Sometimes blessing isn't always increased. Sometimes it's actually lost. Sometimes blessing isn't always more. Sometimes it's actually less, and we don't see blessing that way. We always want to see it as something we want, the way we want it, when we want it, and really what that amounts to is comfort. And we really are pursuing comfort, but yet what has God called us to do? Let's look today at Philippians chapter 3, and that's where we're going to anchor our time in the scriptures today. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he's trying to help the church navigate the waters of dealing with false teachers. People are teaching there's another way other than Christ, or they're teaching circumcision as a way to becoming a Christian because you have to follow the law first, and then you can follow Jesus. And if you get both of them just right, then you're good in the eyes of God. And so Paul is just railing against this type of teaching, and he wants them to understand what really matters. So we're just going to read a little bit of at a time, and we're going to talk about this text today. Philippians chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate 
the flesh. Now he's calling these false teachers dogs, evildoers, people who mutilate the flesh. Now they didn't look at dogs the way you and I look at dogs and think, oh, it's the cute puppy in the window or, oh, that's the family pet. Actually, in ancient Israel during this time, dogs were seen as a very low, low life form, not as man's best friend. So anytime you see someone's referring to a dog in scripture, it's a very, very uh, uh, shameful, lowly reference. Because they looked at dogs as scavengers. They'll just eat anything. They'll do anything. And so because of that, they would see these dogs as low and they would say, you're a dog. You're, you're low. You're a scavenger. You'll do anything. And so he's calling those false teachers dogs. And he says they're evildoers. And then he says this, who mutilate the flesh. Look out for these people. Watch them because he's referring to the act of circumcision because in the covenant that was given to God uh, and given to Abraham by God, that covenant was one of circumcision. And these people had taken this idea of circumcision being the covenant to God, but also being a way that they could trust that they were right in the eyes of God. And so they looked at that not just as a covenant promise of faith, but they looked at it as a means towards salvation. And Paul groups those people in that way. And he says, doesn't even say they're circumcising. He says they're mutilating their flesh. He says they're not even doing anything that really matters in the heart because that's the point. He says they're like dogs, they're evildoers, they're people who mutilate the flesh. He says, for we, verse 3, are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He is saying that we who worship Jesus, we who are in Christ, we who have put our faith in Christ, we are actually the ones who belong to God because of what he's done in our heart, cutting away of that dead flesh of who we were and making us alive again. He's saying it's not about this physical act that you need to trust in. It's about what God has done in your heart. He says, if we're in Christ, what does he say there? We put no confidence in the flesh. And then he says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's about to go on this long laundry list of ideas of where he can place his confidence as hope for his salvation, to where he can place his trust, his comfort, and his blessing. And he's about to roll out this laundry list of things that he says, I'm really good at, things I've done really, really well. And he says, if any of you think that you can boast about what you've accomplished in this life, the, the boxes you've checked, he said, I've got more reason than you've got, and I'm about to show you my resume. So here's what he says in verse 5. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying here that I was circumcised according to the law on the right day. When a Hebrew child was born, they were supposed to be circumcised according to the law on the eighth day. So he's saying, I did it right. I was born the right way. I, I was born into uh, the family of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, you need to remember that in the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers out of jealousy, he had all of these brothers who um, every one of them were a part of this except for Benjamin. Benjamin was too young. He did not take part in selling his brother Joseph into slavery. And when Joseph ends up getting out of slavery and actually becomes second in command in all of Egypt, his brothers come back to him and he's afraid, the brothers are afraid that Joseph is now going to enslave them because he 
himself was enslaved because of his brother's actions. And instead of giving them slavery, giving them what they deserved, Joseph gives them grace. He gives them mercy. He gives them food during a famine. He provides for them. But then the scripture talks about Benjamin, the youngest one. Benjamin was given twice the amount that the other brothers were given. And so you see that there's a double blessing attached to Benjamin. Now, what the Hebrews looked at this as is throughout history, they've always believed that those who were of the tribe of Benjamin were extra special. Like they got like extra blessings. They were the favorites, right? They were the ones who didn't participate in enslaving Joseph. And so all throughout Israel's history, if you were attached to the line of the tribe of Benjamin, that brother, if you're, and, and Paul saying, I'm a Benjamite. I came out of the double blessing. In other words, I'm special. And I'm special because I was born into this. I was circumcised on the right day. I did it right. He said, even here, he said, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. Now, when we hear that word Pharisee, we think the bad guys during Jesus' lifetime in the gospels, right? That's what we immediately think of. But the Pharisees weren't bad guys. There were bad Pharisees. There were those who were very arrogant and prideful, and Jesus called them out. But a Pharisee in general was not a bad guy. Pharisee was someone who had dedicated their lives to the study of Scripture and to worshiping God and to keeping the law. And let me tell you, if you were a Pharisee, you were the best at it. You were like the best at keeping the law. You were the rule follower of rule followers. Like you were living a squeaky clean life, trying to do everything just right. And you would boast oftentimes about how you were living such a clean life. And Paul's saying, I was born on the right, uh, born to the right tribe. I was born to the right family. I was circumcised on the right day. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I was a Pharisee. And as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He was boasting in that saying, hey, I actually was trying to keep people focused on the law of God and I was persecuting the church because I was so zealous. And he said, and as to righteousness under the law, he said, I was blameless. What is Paul doing here? He's showing if you want to boast in your flesh, if you want to boast in what you've accomplished in your own strength, look at all the things I accomplished, both things that I did and things that I just had favor in, that I was just blessed in because I was born into this certain family, things that were out of my control. So here, he had all of these privileges. He had all of this favor. And here's what he says next, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain this resurrection from the dead." Here Paul is saying, all of my trophies, all of my privilege, all of my favor, in contrast to knowing Jesus Christ, it's all rubbish. I've lost it all on purpose because Christ is more valuable than any of those things I could boast in. 
Paul is saying Jesus is sufficient in and of himself. But you and I would look at that list that Paul just read off and we would call those things blessings. We would call them advantage. We would call them favor. We would say, oh yeah, wow, wow, you were born to this great tribe. You, everything was done right. Wow, you were this great person. We would look at all of those advantages as blessing. And a lot of times people equate advantage with blessing or people equate ease with blessing. People equate uh, someone liking you and affirming you with a blessing and acceptance with blessing. But not everything we call blessing, God calls blessing. Because actually what Paul calls blessing, he said, I left it all that I might share in the sufferings of Christ. And Paul calls that blessing. I don't call suffering blessing. I don't know about you. I don't say, sign me up for suffering. But Paul did. Paul said, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing him that I might share in his suffering. That I may just know him more. You see the heart of Paul and how he's just captivated by who Christ is to the point that everything that he could have on his trophy case, everything he could champion as an accomplishment that he had done, he calls it rubbish. Some translations say dung. It's nothing. It's waste. It's garbage in comparison to knowing Christ and being able to suffer with Christ. You see, a lot of times we don't like going through difficulty because we think that comfort is the goal. We prioritize comfort in this life, especially us Americans, because I guarantee you there are some people even now that are sitting here that are thinking, man, it's too hot in here. Some of you are thinking it's too cold. Some of you are thinking my chair doesn't have enough padding. Some of you are thinking, they didn't sing the worship song I like today. Some of them, some of you may be thinking, I liked that song. I hope they sing it again next week. And some of us are thinking, wow, Pastor Derek's mic is really sounding weird today. His EQ is weird. That sounds strange. Or some of you may be thinking, I can't hear it very well, or it's too loud. All of us are thinking in terms of what makes us comfortable. We're all thinking in our preferences, and we do that naturally because we've been trained that way. And if we get all of our stuff met and everything set up just the way we want, then we go, life is good, and I am blessed. And that's what we call blessing. We call blessing getting our way. But that's not what Paul calls blessing. You see, Paul says, I've got all of the, 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 the right marks. I've got all the right uh, qualifications. I've got all the right experience. But I say all of it, nothing in comparison to knowing Christ and sharing in his sufferings. You see, confidence in Christ alone creates contentment. When I'm confident in Jesus and I'm confident that he is sufficient, it helps me to rest knowing that I have everything I need because I have Christ. Literally, if I lost everything tomorrow and was made completely uncomfortable and I wanted my comfort back, but I had Christ, I, I still had everything that I needed because Jesus said it like this. What are you afraid of that man could do unto you? He can kill the body, but he has no say-so over the soul. He said, instead, why don't you fear God who both has the right to condemn both the body and soul to hell? He said, why are you not walking in fear of him? I've always struggled with this, and, and I've gotten better over the years, and God's helped me a lot with this. But probably one of the reoccurring struggles that I've had my entire life is that I've had this anxiety and worry and fear 
over people accepting me or approving me and being okay with me. And anytime I felt like I wasn't okay with someone or like maybe we had some sort of rift or they didn't like me and I maybe ruffled their feathers or something, I would get really nervous to where I'd have knots in my stomach. I just wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I'd be trying to think of how to fix it and how to get back in their good graces so they could like me again. And, then, and people liking me drove a lot of my behavior and drove a lot of my decisions. And it was a lack of trust in God. It's completely prideful and sinful. And God has helped rip that out of me over time. And I still drift back into it occasionally, but man, he's helped grow me in that. But there would be times where I would say something or do something that would maybe upset someone or offend someone or maybe not say something correctly or not do something that they expected me to do. And, and they would be offended or hurt or angry at me and I would find out about it. And I would go through the motions of not being able to sleep. I would have knots in my stomach. I'd just be like, oh no, I gotta fix this. I gotta make this right. Oh no, oh, I don't like this person. That This person left the church or this person's mad at me or oh no. And I'd just be a nervous wreck over things like that. And I would realize the more and more I grew in knowing Christ was enough. I hated those feelings. I hated that process. But I finally would begin to submit to what Christ was trying to do in me during those times. And I would say things like this, and I still do this to this day. I don't like what I'm feeling right now. I'm not enjoying this, but this is good for me. Oh man, that's hard for me to say. I don't like this. This is difficult, but it's good for me. You know, I, I just would want the person to affirm me again or approve of me so that I could feel like I was okay again. But God was like, I'm not going to give that to you. You need to find your worth and your identity in me instead of in what other people say or don't say about you. And so God would leave me in this space of this thing between me and this person. I just couldn't, I, 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 would, want, I would want to get back in that good graces. I would want them to, you know, give me that, that, that approval, that affirmation again. And I just wasn't getting it. And, and I would go, God, I, I'm nervous every time this person walks in the room or every time I have to go meet with this person because I don't know what it's going to be about or whatever the case may be. And I would go, wait a minute, I don't like this, but this is good for me. And I would sit in that and allow God to work in my heart the things he needed to work in my heart. And that is called blessing. We wouldn't call it blessing. We would say, God, I want the pain to go away. God, I want, I want my sleep back. God, I want the good feelings again. But God's saying, no, this is good for you to sit in this because I'm working something in you that you don't even see. And it's helping you to grow and trust me more and have confidence in me. You see, confidence in Christ alone creates contentment. It helps me to go, things are okay, not because everything's going my way. Things are okay because Christ is enough. And that's a completely different mindset that you and I are called to have. I can be anybody. You don't even have to know Jesus to be confident when everything's going your way to feel good and be happy about life and go, yeah, hey, I got everything I want. Everything's going my way. Everybody's singing my praises. All right. Woo. All right. Life is good. But that's not the way life works, is it, folks? So where does my confidence come from? Does it come from the circumstance? Or does it come somewhere else? Paul is saying here, my confidence comes from Christ alone. That's why the Apostle Paul, he, he reiterates this later in Philippians in chapter 4, probably one of the most famous verses aside from John 3.16. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as we back up a little bit and look at the context, he's not talking about you can increase your vertical by four inches because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking about you can pass your math test or ace that job interview because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he is saying, he said beforehand, I 
I have learned how to be a base and I have learned how to abound. In other words, I've, had, I've been rich and wealthy in, in other people's eyes uh, in their favor and I've been in prison cells. And how can I continue to be consistent throughout those two varying uh, differences, those contrasting environments? Well, I can do all these things because of Christ who gives me strength. So it's Christ who gives him strength to be content, even in the challenges, even in the difficulty, even in the unknown. Amen? See, we are made righteous through realizing the sufficiency in Christ. Not the sufficiency in us, but the sufficiency in Christ. Paul said in verse 7 and 8 that everything he once counted as gain, he now counts as loss. James says it this way. He says, beloved, count it all joy when you fall into varying types of trials and temptations. I don't raise my hand and go, thank you, Jesus, for this. I have to get to a place where he works in me to where I go, thank you, Jesus, for this. I needed this because I learned to trust you more through the storm. I learned to trust you more through the difficulty. I learned to trust you more. And, and man, it's, it's something about being able to trust God in the middle of things because we don't always have the, the end result. We don't always know how it's going to go. And God doesn't always show us how things are going to turn out. We have our hopes. We have our desires. We can pray certain ways, but ultimately we say, Lord, what is your will? What do you want? I want to trust what you want because I know you're going to work all this out for my good because I love you. I'm called according to your purpose. And I know, Lord, that you're going to work it out, but I, I don't know how. But as we have the vantage point of growing in our life and our faith in Christ, aren't there times and seasons where you can stand and look back on life and the journey and you can go, wow, I didn't know how we were going to make it out of that. I didn't know how God was going to get us through that. And you're like, but he did. I didn't know how I was ever going to be able to trust people again. I didn't know how I was ever going to be able to want to connect in Christ-centered community in a church again. I didn't know that I was ever going to be able to love another person again quite this way. I didn't know I would ever be able to do this and recover from this financial ruin or whatever the case may be. And you look back and you're like, wow, God, you've been so faithful. You look back on all of that. All the things that were against you, the way you were raised, things that happened to you that were beyond your control, the way people have lied, the way people have abused you, the way people have manipulated you, you look back and you're still standing and you see the faithfulness of God. But when you were in it, you didn't see it because it was hard. It was difficult to see it. But God didn't abandon you over there and all of a sudden show up over here. He's faithful, amen? So I have to trust that when I'm going through difficulty that there's something working in me that as I deepen my trust in him, it may not be going my way and it may not be comfortable and it probably won't be. But there will come a day where you can stand on the other side and you can see the faithfulness of God. My mind goes to the children of Israel who had just been set free from captivity from 400 years of slavery under Egyptian rule. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh decides he wants all of those Hebrew slaves back, and he, he wants to go back on his deal to let them go. And so Pharaoh and all of his armies, they all band together and start chasing the, uh, the, the Hebrews who are really in a bad spot. They're standing right there at the edge of the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and what's everybody thinking? I think God's probably going to part that sea. We're probably going to walk across, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Nobody was thinking that. They were all thinking, we're going to die. <laughs> they're all thinking, this is it. We're going to go back to slavery, and they're going to beat us, and it's going to be worse than it was before, and it's all Moses' fault. They're upset. They're probably freaking out. 
But then Moses hears from God, stretches out his hand. God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground. Could you imagine even the thought? After you see the, the, the Red Sea parted, you're like, we're all going to get stuck in the mud, but it's dry. I mean, it's just one miracle after another. And then when you're standing on the other side of the sea, here comes Pharaoh's army, and they're thinking, we're going to cross too. And God drowns Pharaoh and his army and brings a victory to the people of God. And now they're standing on the other side. And they go, we never would have thought of that. <laughs> I never would have thought in a million years to split a sea, make it dry, get us across, because you're talking about over a million people, some theologians say, getting across on dry ground while Pharaoh and his army are hot on their tail. And all of a sudden, all of that happens? Yeah, I, I honestly can say I didn't see that one coming. But then what does it do? It creates a faith point, a faith marker, a memorial to where now we can recount the faithfulness of God because there will be another Pharaoh chasing. There will be another obstacle that seems impossible. And the same God that got you through that last one is going to be the same God that's going to get you through the next one. And you got to remember the faithfulness of God. And you got to trust in Him and that it's not about your comfort, even if it requires your life. Paul said, I am willing to give everything. He said, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He said, by any means possible, I want to be in heaven with him forever. I want to be apart. I want to be with him by any means possible. And so I count everything that I once counted as gain as loss because a willingness to forsake comfort for the sake of Christ is required daily for his disciples. It's not just something you or I do one time where we make a decision to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. No, it's a daily thing. Sometimes it's like 10 times before you get out of bed <laughs> because your flesh wants to stay in bed. Your flesh wants to be lazy, and God is calling you out. He's saying, get out of that bed, get started. It's time to move forward. It's time to grow. It's time to trust me. It's time to take that step of faith, whatever the case may be. But I have to be willing to forsake my comfort. But that means I have to stop making comfort the priority and say, Lord, what's, what's your desire for my life today? Because sometimes God calls you to do things that are uncomfortable. I can tell you as much as I love you all today and as much as I, it has been an absolute pleasure serving you as your senior pastor, over nine and a half years ago when we were discerning where God wanted us to go, we weren't thinking Wisconsin sounds comfortable. We weren't thinking that's where we're going to end up. We were discerning, and there was a group of people there that loved us, who we had pastored. And we were looking down the road going, God, what do you want us to do? And we had to be willing to forsake everything to follow the call of God and to be obedient to his will. And that period of, uh, in our lives in December of 2011, I was pastoring my wife's family. Guess what? My uh, wife is an only child, so that means that our children are the only grandchildren that uh, my in-laws have. And I wasn't too popular of a person when I said, hey, God's called us to Wisconsin. Um, uh, matter of fact, my mother-in-law was none too happy and did not mind letting me know for about the first uh, six months. Uh, she was not happy about it, but uh, she ended up knowing and seeing that it was definitely the hand of God. And then when God calls you, when God begins to stir in you, no matter how comfortable you may get, because, men, I'm comfortable here at Word of Grace. I, I love you guys. I, I love working with our staff. I'm, I have three of my closest friends, the, the longest tenured friends that I've ever had that we've just stayed friends the longest time. And, 
And I've got deep history with them. And to be walking away from seeing those people and being in relationship with them every day, that's, that's difficult. But can I tell you, folks, that it doesn't matter what God is calling you to, if He's calling you to move, if He's calling you to step out and do something, if He's calling you to stop doing something, whatever the case may be, it's going to be difficult and there's going to be a cost. But if there's a cost attached to it, then you know it's going to be worth it. But there's going to be a cost. So what is God calling you to that's costing you something? Because Christianity is not comfortable. It's not something God, God says, oh, hey, come, come and follow Jesus and forsake the things you, you don't like. But all the stuff you like, hang on to, by all means. No, he says forsake everything. And everything means everything. It means the trophies, the good things, all the stuff Paul said I'm really, really good at and I know I'm good at. And look at all my advantages and my privileges. And Paul considers them all as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus and for following what God has created him to do. And we are to count it all joy and we are to consider it good. Sometimes we need a little help with that. And so I hope today, through this message, you're able to get a little help with that because we want to continue to grow in following Him. Church, we must detox from our pursuit of comfort, and we must pursue Christ. If I'm uncomfortable, then may it be for the glory of God. If I am called outside of what's familiar, may it be for the glory of God. If I am going through a challenge, may I continue by any means possible to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus because He alone is better than any alternative answer. Amen? There are other things that this world would want to try to show you. I know it's sad. It breaks my heart. <laughs> She's crying over the sin of the world and wanting to see people come to Christ. I don't know why we're all not crying. But if I'm going through a challenge, I have to continue by any means possible with my eyes fixed on Jesus alone. There's no other answer. There's no better answer. We have to believe Christ is sufficient, that Christ is enough. And here's your bottom line today. Take a picture, type it out, share it, whatever you want to do with it. Eternity matters more than my comfort. And that's what we need to remember. That needs to drive our lives, our passion for God. Eternity matters more than my comfort. If I'm comfortable, I may miss out on doing what God has created and called me to do because my comfort may be more important than doing what God wants me to do. Eternity matters more than my comfort. So that means that all of you who are really detailed planning people who have the next five years of your life planned out and color-coded in different binders and different graphs and you have different things that you're going to do, I love you people, but you're not really my people. Like, I'm, I'm not that way. I need to grow in some of that, but man, that, I don't get it. But I know you're that way. And here's the thing. Maybe that's you and God's saying, you've got everything planned out and have you made room for me to do things that aren't a part of your plans? Or are you just asking me to fit in your plans? Because what if God were to disrupt your schedule? What if God were to disrupt your calendar this year? Those of you who you're, you're, you're looking forward to the future and, and hoping that you know, things continue to get better as we've recovered from this pandemic and continue to recover from it and maybe we get to a sense of normal, have, have you thought about where God may be leading you or what he may be calling you to do? Are you willing to say yes to that? 
Or are you just going, I want to be comfortable again? How's God wanting to use you now? Some of you, you're looking at your time and you're, you're like, man, I, I wish I had more time. I would be able to serve. I would be able to give. I would be able to spend time with people and do some of those things that, you know, I get stirred to do when I hear a message or I read the scripture. Well, why not now? What, what, are you, what are you waiting on? What's holding you back? Eternity matters more than your comfort. Is it when God fits in? Is it when it's convenient? Are you telling God, just hold on till it's convenient, till it works out for me? That's not how it works when we serve God. We have to be willing to forsake our comfort daily, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Because church, eternity matters more. So we need to detox from ourselves and we need to trust in true righteousness that only comes from knowing Christ. So here's what we need to do. We need to examine our hearts. We need to examine our intent. We need to examine ourselves and repent. We must begin with a fresh start, not just living in the past. So I want us to take time today, throughout this week, whatever the case may be, where we are emptying ourselves of ourselves as people are saying, what am I going to give up for Lent? Well, is it a sacrifice? Is it is it something that's inconvenient? Because if it's something that's convenient, it's not really a sacrifice. Is it something that makes you uncomfortable? What's God calling you to? What's he wanting you to share in those sufferings with Christ, to humble yourself under God's hand as he's working in you something that maybe you didn't see as a blessing before because maybe it wasn't comfortable. Maybe it wasn't easy. My guess is that it's probably not easy and it's probably not comfortable. But could that be a blessing in disguise that perhaps you'd missed because you've been looking for comfort? You've been wondering, where's the blessing? What you're really asking is, when am I going to get my way again? <laughs> when, when are things going to go the way I want them to go? Because this isn't fair. This isn't right. What did I do? I don't understand. But maybe God's doing something in the middle of the challenge that is actually a bigger blessing than what you realize. Maybe there's something God's wanting you to submit yourself to and humble yourself to and say, Lord, I don't like this. I wish it were different, but I know this is good for me because it's causing me to trust you more. It's requiring that I trust you more. It's requiring for me to know you're good and that it's requiring me to praise you in the storm. It's requiring me to remember your faithfulness of the past. It's requiring me to, to pursue you and to, to deepen that place of, of holding on to you because I don't feel like I've got anything else left. There is blessing in that. There's blessing in that. It's not the kind of blessing and comfort you want, but it's righteousness in Christ alone. It's Christ being sufficient. It's him being enough. So Lord, help us do this. Help us see you as sufficient. Help us to see you as enough. Help us to find that freedom where we've been carrying around all these burdens and shame and guilt of our past. And Lord, help us to be unburdened by your grace and your freedom. Lord, help us to see that our trophies don't matter Help us to see, God, that all of our privilege doesn't matter, that our reputation, God, that we've been trying to hold up and preserve, Lord, let's count it all as loss for the sake of knowing you. Help us to see your goodness in the middle of difficulty. Help us to trust that you are enough right here, right now, as we empty ourselves and as we are filled with nothing else but Christ. 
Christ being sufficient, Christ being enough. Jesus, you alone are enough. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, but you know about Jesus. You know stories about him, but you don't know him personally. I want to invite you today to know Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. The scripture says, as many as call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that today the Holy Spirit is drawing you close, opening your eyes, softening your heart, and bringing about repentance in you to where you confess your sin. Lord, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I need you that you cry out to Jesus in this moment, that today would be the day that starts this transformation in you to where now Christ can be the center of your life and no longer your selfish desires. Lord, we repent of our selfishness. Lord, we repent when we have a tendency to drift and we fix our eyes on you today, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.